radio for the Agile community, www.agile.fm. Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have Linda Rising. I don't think Linda needs an introduction to the Agile crowd out there. Um, she is an author, she's a consultant, she's a keynote speaker, and as an author, she has recently, I believe in 2004 and 2014, uh, 15, released two books, one called Fearless Change and the latest called More Fearless Change. Welcome to the podcast, Linda. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's so nice to be here. Awesome. So, uh, keynote speaker, you are all over the place. You're speaking a lot at Agile conferences worldwide. And obviously, you always have a copy of your book, More Fearless Change, with you, which you have co-authored. I just want to highlight that, too, with Marilyn Mann's, uh, both of those books. And you probably have them in your pocket whenever you speak. I do. And it's interesting that it took us 10 years to write the first book, and it's been 10 years since the first book was written. So I've been saying, Mary Lynn and I work in 10-year cycles. (laughs) (laughs) Truly a sprint. Yeah, a long (laughs) sprint. (laughs) All right, let's talk a little bit um, um, about the book. You um, Obviously, the... I just want to find out from you before we get started diving into this topic here is what's your goal with this entire patterns movement? You have prior to these books released uh, other publications around um, patterns. Some of them were um, university based. Uh, what's what's your goal? What do you say that you want to achieve with uh, the pattern catalogs? I, I have always said that I have a disease and I think it's like a virus. Uh, once you get infected with the patterns, ideas, you tend to look for them everywhere. You see them everywhere. The world is made up of patterns. And I used to believe that that was just me or I, Mary Lynn, I think, also has the disease. But what we now know from cognitive neuroscience is that as humans, that's what we do. We are always looking for patterns in the world around us. And we identify things that we think our patterns, even when they're completely random. Mm -hmm. So now I know that this is just a human tendency. It's not just any special characteristic that I have. But since I have now written five books, mostly cooperating with other people and producing those books, that I realize that my larger goal must be to see if other people can identify patterns in the work that they do, and thereby save themselves a little effort mm-hmm. by saying, we've been through this before. Maybe we should stand back and learn a little from this. Maybe mm-hmm. we should think about what worked in the past and what didn't work in the past and learn from that going forward. So the whole thing really becomes, well, I guess you could say, uh, a lot more agile. Right. So here's actually an interesting thing. What I found about uh, the, the mo- I think it was actually about the first book, The Fearless Change. There was one review on Amazon and the person reviewing the book, all your reviews are generally very, very high up there and for good reasons. Uh, but one person actually, and I want to use that as an example for people out there, um, he was lost 
uh, with that first book, and it seems like he didn't know how to read the book. Um, pattern books are very different. What's the intent? Yeah, and I, I think that's right, that for, we, we make a lot of assumptions when we write any book. We think that people who read it have sort of been traveling with us on the journey that we use to produce that book, and so they'll understand a lot of things about the way we see the world when that's obviously not going to be the case, that whenever you pick up a book, sometimes you don't understand much at all about what went into the production of that and what a pattern is mm -hmm. and why, why we should care about that. And so we spent a fair amount of time in the original book, Fearless Change, explaining what patterns are all about, why we should care about patterns, a little bit of the patterns history and software and how we got personally involved and, and why we care so much about it. But I'm not sure everybody wants to read all that. You know, we're in a different world now. People want fast. They want, want little, little tweets. They want to be able to pick up things quickly. Mm -hmm. And our editor did warn us about that. He said, you know, most people are not going to read all of that explanation. They don't have the time for it. They want something that's nice and short. And so they're going to skip all of that, and they're just going to read the little short chapters that we specifically designed to be little tiny steps through the pattern language, and that's all they're going to read. Right. Well, it seems like in this instance, in this particular instance, the uh, person felt like there was a lot of jumping around from one pattern, and I think, if, uh, if I hear you correctly, that's the intent, right? So this is not going to be read as a sequential, like a novel, and uh, you go from start to finish. This book is different. Yeah, and, and I think if you look at Christopher Alexander's books, which are about architecture, that's where the software community stumbled across the idea of patterns. That is not a book that you read like a novel. In fact, it took me a long time to get a copy of that book for myself. And what finally sold me was just standing in a bookstore, leafing through it. And what I found was wherever I opened the book, there was some interesting idea that, well, it drew me in. Yeah. And I started reading about a particular pattern of Alexander's, and then he would point to another pattern, and then I'd go read about that one, and I kind of jumped around through the pattern language, not in any linear progression, but just following a little path of, of interest that I had in how the world was developed. And I think that's how a lot of people do read the Patterns book. It's mm -hmm. not a start at the beginning, read linearly, sequentially with our system two brain. No, it's a, well, this looks interesting, and then maybe jump over to something else that's interesting. And that's really how people tend to use the pattern that's language. Good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to cite all of these patterns uh, right now because there is a lot. There are a lot of patterns looking at the two books uh, combined. Um, but you're probably getting a lot of feedback whenever you speak or you meet people and uh, maybe even reviews or email uh, notifications you're getting from folks um, out there. Is there any of these uh, kind of patterns where you would say these are the top 10? Well, for me, of course, I have my favorites, <laughs> and I think if you ask Mary Lynn, she would have her favorites, and even though we were very careful as we were writing the book to make 
the writing style and the editing consistent, it's pretty clear to the two of us that there are some patterns that originated from the experience or the insight that Mary Lynn had and others that were more from my experience or insight. And so we tend to lean on some patterns that we each think are individually more important. So you wouldn't get the same answer from me as you would from Mary Lynn. And so I can I can hand you uh, a handful of the patterns that I think are the most important. And the first one is evangelist. Mm-hmm. And that's if people ask me, is there a starting point or is there a first pattern or is there a prerequisite pattern for using the pattern language? My answer is always the same. It's evangelist. And that has, at least in the United States, kind of a religious yeah. flavor. It usually means somebody who is a preacher in, um, in a sort of a conservative religious community who gets up and talks about what God wants our community to do and that we're all going to head in this direction. But the word for me came from Lucent. I was working in a telecom company at the time and we used the expression all the time, corporate evangelist. Mm-hmm. And it meant in the corporate setting, somebody who's really enthusiastic about this new idea, and they're going to head up some sort of change effort across maybe some part of the organization, and they're going to be the change leader. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what we have in mind. And in the beginning, Mary Lynn was a little more resistant because she was from the South in North Carolina, and she had this other vision in her head, and she was uncomfortable with it. But now, I think both of us would agree that this is key, that in the beginning, whether you're trying to introduce Agile into an organization or test-driven development or some other new idea that in the beginning you don't have any scientific proof that this is going to pan out for your team or your organization. You don't know, but you believe. Mm -hmm. You have faith. It is a little bit like religion. It's because you care. And all the words that you would use to describe it have to do with things that are grounded in your belief. And so that is exactly the right way to start. If you don't believe in it, if you don't have any faith in it, then why would you spend the time, the energy? Because it's going to take a long time. It's always going to take longer than you think. And it's going to take an enormous amount of your store of reserves, cognitive as well as energy and spiritual, for this effort. So why would you even sign up for it if you didn't believe mm-hmm. in it? Oh, do you have so, a, give a second example? Evangelism, okay, the evangelist. As, yes. as one of your favorites, uh, maybe a second one. Maybe you just want to list another one just for the listeners to see what uh, those names of those patterns would be and what they have to watch out for. Ah, well, my next favorite pattern is called do food. Oh, my God. Match. (laughs) (laughs) 
And of course, I've always recommended that as one as one of my favorite patterns. And it, it's because I personally, when I started working in large organizations after I finished my graduate degree, I saw the power of how just a simple thing, I was working on a team that we met every Friday afternoon to produce a status report for our team lead. And it was a boring, it was a horrible, it was a dreaded moment at the end of the week that we all had to get together and we had to pull numbers together. I mean, it was awful. We just hated it. And one Friday, I learned that it was our team lead's birthday. So I went down to the cafeteria and I bought, we had these wonderful chocolate chip cookies in our cafeteria. So I bought some chocolate chip cookies for the team and I brought him into the meeting and I said, hey, I just learned that it's Tim's birthday today <laughs> and I brought some cookies and it was as though we'd been meeting in a cave and somebody turned on the lights and people started talking about their childhood memories, what cookies their mothers made their favorite cookies that their wives or their girlfriends make for them. And that meeting changed completely. It became a fun experience. We shared stories that we had never told to one another. We had an enjoyable experience. We finished the meeting early. Mm -hmm. We still got the same amount of work done, but it was so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I thought, yeah, all it's, this, all this from a handful of chocolate chip cookies. Who would, who would have thought? <laughs> well, in the um, in the nineteen nineties, actually, or early two thousands, for for us in the development sector, was a do food could have been called do pizza because we had so much pizza, <laughs> and uh, so. Well, we, we, we appreciate the fact that uh, healthy food is slowly uh, entering the workplace. Yes, exactly so. And in fact, I have lots of pictures of uh, when I was at Microsoft. They have salads and fresh fruit and uh, juices and lots of healthy things that are in their little kitchens on each floor that are available to all the developers 24-7. Mm -hmm. Pixar has a huge line of whole grain cereals, mm -hmm. peanut butter and whole grain toast that are available to people all day long. So they want them to eat a nice healthy breakfast. But what they learned was developers like to eat cereal all day long. And so, yes, it's much better if it's healthy food and if it's uh, something that they enjoy And, and what we know is that when we have food on the table, we are more open, we're more willing to listen to one another, we're more willing to consider what other people are saying. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of research behind the power of food, and it makes us more amenable to what others are saying. So we're more open to listening. So if you're trying to introduce a new idea and you bring in something that other people are happy about sharing, then they're going to listen and be more open to the new idea that you're excited about. Yeah. So you're excited, you're an evangelist, and then you bring in some nice 
chocolate chip cookies or whatever the food is. Yeah. You have to know. You have to know your own team right. or organization. What what would they like to have? That's right. So that's. I think this is the interesting thing uh, around patterns, right? So a lot of people would be uh, taking this example now of do food as something, yeah, that's kind of common sense. That's what I would be doing as a um, project leader or an executive. Um, I want to create a, a good atmosphere. I bring some food. But the catalog itself of the patterns is, is the reminder of how to assemble um, a transformation, right? How to... Uh, make all these things click together and I think that is that's almost like a checklist but more than a checklist it is actually giving you the um, the approach and how they are connected and how they can be connected so that is very interesting um, so we at least got your top two <laughs> um, here <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, because I, I think sometimes people look at the pattern language the collection of patterns as a box of band-aids so here's my problem. Let me find the right Band-Aid mm -hmm. to cover up that problem. And it's not like that at all. The, it, it's John Muir is an American uh, wilderness expert who founded the Sierra Club. And he said, when you look at the universe, you find that everything is hooked to everything else. And so pulling out a single pattern automatically brings with it all the other patterns, they're, they're all hooked together, and they all work together. They are prerequisites for each other, so there's a lot of recursion. Mm -hmm. And if you just pick out one Band-Aid and say, oh, well, all I have to do is buy chocolate chip cookies, well, that's, that's going to get you a certain amount of influence, but you also need personal touch, which is a pattern that means you have to understand where other people are coming from. You also need easier paths, which means the best thing to do is make other people's lives easier. You're going to need a lot of other patterns that just come along. Mm -hmm. They're, they all, all travel together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a very good definition, um, uh, Linda, you mentioned earlier on the call that the first book, the first release of uh, Fearless Change was 2004, 10 years later, more Fearless Change, and you're on that cadence with Marilyn Mance uh, on book releases. Um, <laughs> we also saw like Do Food, right? Healthy food movement um, and so on. Do you see like based on the evolution of those um, patterns, do you see any kind of change to these patterns over time and how would you recommunicate those? I think when we had to write uh, for More Fearless Change, the editor said, uh, we want to hear about new patterns, and we have some new patterns in More Fearless Change. He said, but I think that readers would like to know, looking back on the original patterns, are you still happy with them? Are you okay with sending those out into the world? And we looked at each one of those and, of course, that's what we talk about all the time, and that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years, is looking at how happy we are with the patterns and what we've learned about them. And there isn't any pattern that we would toss out or say, oh, we don't really need that. We did find a couple that we think are not uh, enough to stand on their own and maybe should have been included with others, so we collapsed those. But um, most of the original patterns are patterns where we now have more insight mm -hmm. into why they work. 
So we have expanded on that. But the pattern itself and what it does and what's the intent is really the same. So it's amazing in a way that we're still happy with all of them. And what we have now is more evidence that they really do work. And for me, a lot of evidence from behavioral economics and cognitive neuroscience that Mm -hmm. say, yes, Linda, these patterns work, but now we've got research that will show you why it is like the do food pattern. There's a lot of research around the power of food and why that's so influential. And that's true for all the patterns that that's what we've really learned. That's our major insight is, yeah, they work. And now we have proof, I guess, scientific proof that uh, we can explain why it is that they are so successful. Which gives the reader the confidence in the patterns uh, application of, uh, you know, if applied in the right context, um, yes. they will work and they will yield the, uh, the results, the intended results uh, described. Has technology yeah. changed the, your patterns, the, the evolution of technology? Well, I think there are a couple of patterns that talked about publicity or uh, PR, or putting things in front of the people that you want to influence. And of course, now there are a lot more ways of doing that than 20 years ago when we started writing the original book. At that time, we talked about putting posters on the wall, and we talked about handing out things, Mm -hmm. either copies of articles or books, physical things. And now, of course, with technology, it's so much easier to tweet or use social media, Facebook to connect people. You can set up all kinds of Google groups and ways of connecting people that weren't available to us 20 years ago. But the intent of the pattern is to keep the information in front of people. That's still the same. Mm-hmm. And it's like Christopher Alexander said uh, for his patterns on architecture, the essence or the heart of the pattern never changes, but how you can implement it, well, There are a million different ways Mm -hmm. of implementing that pattern without ever doing it the same way twice. And that's only going to be more and more the case as technology has an impact on the way we communicate with other people. Very cool. How do you uh, respond to somebody who picks up your book um, and applies a pattern, let's say personal touch or do food, and would say, we're in a distributed environment? Ah, do they work? Oh, they do. They do absolutely do. So the, I was uh, coaching um, a distributed team, and they wanted to do retrospectives. Uh, they wanted to do some very short retrospectives, and then some longer term retrospectives. And they, and I said, well, you know, we should always have food at the retrospectives. And they said, well, how can we do that? We've got people in India, we've got people in Europe, we've got people in New York. How is that all going to work? And I said, well, you know, what we can do is we can share. Somebody, say less, somebody in India will send us a recipe for making something that their mothers made for them that they really, really like. And we will all try to duplicate that. We will try to find the spices and we will try to find the ingredients and we will make this nice curry or we can get some naan at the grocery store and we will all do the best we can and we will have it while we're having 
our retrospective. Even if we're having it in the morning or we're having it at midnight, we will all have a little bit of this food <laughs> and we can talk about it and we can say, hey, uh, Raj, you know, you sent us this recipe and you say your mother used to make it, you know, and and we tried this particular spice. We can talk about the spices and we can talk about how we cook the rice and it can be done. It can be done. That's a very cool example, I have to say. Yeah. And and just having that food at the same time, even though we are widely dispersed and it's midnight for some people and seven thirty in the morning for others, we're all sharing that food at the same time and we all know it and we're learning about other cultures and the kinds of things they like and what makes them feel good and they're not the same for all of us but just sharing that experience it takes me back to those chocolate chip cookies <laughs> where people had different experiences and their mothers made different cookies but just Talking about that and telling the stories made us feel closer. Now that that's really what our brains love. We want to sit in a small group and we want to share food and we want to tell stories. That's really what it's all about. And anytime we can create that kind of special environment where we have the feeling that we're all in a small group sharing food together. Things just work better. They just do. Yeah, very, very, very interesting here. Um, some people will have curry at midnight. I think I could do that. <laughs> curry at 7.30 in the morning. Hmm, not sure. Well, but see, that's why we make the people in <laughs> India eat that early in the morning. Because when I've been to India, I love Indian food. I love curry. I love real spicy food. I, I spent t over 20 years living in Phoenix, Arizona. So I love, I love spicy food. But I have trouble eating that for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, but so in India, of course, they don't have any problem with that. So we make them eat the early morning spicy food, and the rest of us have it At later night. in the day. Very so we, we do try to think a little bit about how that would work. For all of us, yeah, I have I have trouble at seven thirty in the morning eating spicy food. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Linda, as I said, you are a keynote speaker and lots of agile conferences. But your background is, as as many know, very very diverse: uh, chemistry, math, telecommunication, like all these kind of areas in industries. Uh, but you are somewhat, I mean, this in a positive way, stuck in the agile. Uh, world. What keeps your interest in, in the world of Agile? Because I think I'm learning more about how your brain works. And as I do, I see enormous connections with what I think is the essence or the heart of Agile. Mm -hmm. It's about learning. It's about growing. So then 2006, I gave the closing keynote for the conference in the U.S., the big Agile conference. And it was about something called the ad, I called the agile mindset. Mm -hmm. And it has to do really with not agile software development, but agile thinking and a way of looking at the world that is really what agile is talking about. So agile is not about software. It's about how your brain works. And that applies not just to software, but to how organizations run. It's how people live their lives. Mm 
Mm. That that should be the goal for all of us is to hold that agile mindset. And in the talk, I thought I was making that connection with agile software development. And I thought that's what people would like or take away from the talk. But I was wrong. What people took away from that talk was how I live my life, how my children live their lives, what should I do with my life, the impact was, well, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I did not expect that. I I didn't realize how that would all play out. And I'm still giving, I, the talk changes over time, but it's the essence of the talk is still the same. And people still have that response. They come in, they think this is going to be about agile software development, and they walk out of there, and the email and the conversations are all about, no, it's about my children. It's about my own life. It's about what I'm going to do when I'm, 73. It's about so many other larger things. And that's what Agile has become for me. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger and so much more impactful than just software development. Right. I mean, the Agile community has evolved as well. I mean, we we learn and grow even as an an industry. Yeah. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and one of my favorites is called Office Hours. Dan Pink, who mm-hmm. wrote Drive, uh, is the host of that podcast. And the other day, he was interviewing somebody, and right in the middle of the conversation, Dan Pink said, well, do you know about agile software development? I nearly dropped my phone. I thought, wow, wow. this is amazing that Dan Pink knows about agile software development and he sees the connection mm-hmm. between what agile software development is about and what his books are about and what the conversation was about. He was able to pull all that together. And that is sort of an example of what's happening. You see it now. Uh, uh, the, the Heath brothers, do you know Chip Heath and Dan Heath, who wrote Made to Stick? And they have a new book out called Decisive that they are also talking about agile software development. So it's so much broader, it's so much wider, it's so much deeper than I think the originators ever imagined. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I myself getting inquiries about, you know, how could this be applied outside of IT um, on a regular basis? Yeah. It's just, um, I think the movement, I, I think people are bridging this to, to their world and they're realizing this is not only a way of how you behave in software development, but potentially everywhere. My husband and I moved to a retirement community when he retired four years ago, and we are recorder players, and there weren't any in our community. So we started a group, and I teach those people about the recorder and about music, but I also teach them about agile approaches. And I use the word all the time. And when we have to react to some change in our schedule or some change in the music, I say, now, here's a good example of how we are all going to be very agile about our approach to this music. We're going to think of it differently now because we've learned something as we've gone along. So they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. 
So these are people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they are, they are agile. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's amazing. It's really cool. Very good examples here. Uh, and you are in, in Nashville, I have to say. That's where you're based off in uh, Music City. Indeed, absolutely. I think this whole town is full of agile people because they, the music business is a tough one to enter, if, even if you're very, very talented. So this is a town full of very talented people who are waiting for their big break or who are practicing by playing in a lot of venues, well, that are not so great, but, you know, they're, they're learning. They're learning and they're adjusting and they're adapting. So they are all pretty agile, I would say. Yeah. Well, Linda, for example, I just towards the end of our conversation here, um, I actually use the uh, More Fearless Change book now to actually help a very large client to go through a transformation. So we're using this as a recipe book for uh, transformation, how to become agile. And uh, we're using the patterns um, of your books. And uh, we can always provide some feedback to you but so far everything is uh, nice and groovy we are connecting the dots the, the patterns and we're using the language uh, in the books now to to build the transformation oh how cool thank you so much and i don't know if you are familiar with the fearless journey game deb Proust created a card game based on the fearless change patterns mm -hmm. and that's exactly what she does she has clients play a little card game and the cards are well, there are the patterns. Awesome. Yeah, and she has them create a journey where we got stuck. What were the problems? Uh, what are some solutions that might come from the cards, which are really all about the patterns mm -hmm. from Fearless Change? And it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing. Excellent. Fantastic. Definitely pick one up. Um, Linda, um, you guys, as we said in the beginning, you guys publish books in a 10-year uh, cycle. Uh, <laughs> Can I, get, can I just guess the title of your book, 2024? Uh, <laughs> most well, most I, fearless I, change. I'm, I'm actually working on another book with my husband, and this is a book about patterns, of course, but it's patterns for changing the world. So it will be a slightly different book, and it will doubtless take me the rest of my life to write it. And it has to do with applying some of the patterns from fearless change to making the world a better place. You know, the United States has a history of going into various parts of the world, and we do it with good hearts. We're trying to help, and often we make a mess of things. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe if we could recognize some patterns, uh, learn from our experience in the past, that we might be able to do a better job of that. And so my hope for my future is that I do get that book written before I die. Oh, and Linda. <laughs> <laughs> so it will take me a while. It'll definitely take us another 10 years, I think. So that that's my plan for the next book. Wonderful. And uh, I think everybody out there can't wait until this book is coming out. And it proves that you can elevate the topic even further, right? To uh, Yeah, that's right. We're stage. sending Agile to the, to the whole world. Awesome. Well, Linda, thank you so much for taking uh, your time here to have this conversation about patterns in, in particular. And uh, everybody who is more interested now and uh, got an appetite for patterns, not only after the do food pattern, but in general, pattern, pattern appetite, 
Um, the books are called Fearless Change and More Fearless Change by Linda Rising and Marilyn Nance. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon. Thank you.